1 Corinthians 15. Now I can hardly see through the tears. 1 Corinthians 15, let's pray. Father, help us. Oh, I pray that you'd receive glory in your church tonight. I pray, Father, that you'd use me to preach the word of God in power and in demonstration of thy Holy Spirit. God, deliver me from the flesh. From preaching in the flesh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles." that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so he believed. Well, that touches my heart. All of it, but here in verse number nine, Paul says, I'm not, I, I'm the least, I'm not meet to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think of myself, I don't deserve to be saved. Never did deserve to be saved, never will. I feel the least of all sometimes, but I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Thank God. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul seeks to assure the church of God at Corinth, as well as all other churches that will receive these words, of the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He seeks to assure them, I said, of the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he further seeks to answer the objections of some within the church to the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. He starts with the importance of the resurrection of Christ. Then he deals with the significance of denying the resurrection of our Lord. And then he relates how that Christ's resurrection is the hope of the believer and the pattern for the believer's resurrection. And he finally answers the question, what happens to those who are alive when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? And that's an interesting subject, and we delight to preach on that. But tonight we're going to limit ourselves to the gospel of Christ with particular emphasis on the resurrection. Now look at verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Moreover, 
In other words, furthermore, likewise, additionally, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. I declare unto you the glad tidings. That's what it means. I declare unto you the good news. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the glad tidings, the good news. Now, I don't know about you, though I do think that most here this evening would agree with me, but I find the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the best news that I've ever heard in my life. The best news that I've ever heard in my life. The very best news that was ever declared to me was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I received that news 50 years ago this spring. And it so changed my life that I haven't gotten over it. You know something? I never will get over it. You know why I'll never get over it? Because I have been saved by the grace of God. I mean, I've been genuinely saved. I'm a Christian. And those who have been saved never get over the gospel, never will get over the gospel. Through all of eternity, I'll never get over the gospel. It's the very best news that I've ever received. Well, we hear a lot of bad news. We even take the good news and make what the president calls fake news out of it, turn it into bad news. But this is good news. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the gospel, when it's received and obeyed, will so radically change a person that that person will be made a new creature. Those who receive and obey the gospel by exercising repentance toward God and faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are regenerated by the power of God and made new persons in Christ. Thank God for the gospel. It is, according to God's holy word, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, see it there, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now these are just introductory remarks, but observe here first. The gospel is to be preached. The gospel must be preached. Paul said, I preached it unto you. We must preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel to those across the road. We must preach the gospel to those down the street. We must preach the gospel to those across the county and across the country and around the world. We've got to get the gospel to those near us and to those beyond us through, of course, our missionaries. But the gospel must be preached. Follow my logic. If the gospel is essential to salvation, and it is, nobody can be saved apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's essential to salvation, then it must be preached. Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation. And if that means that people cannot be saved apart from the gospel, and it does, then the gospel must be preached. It must be. Why? Because apart from hearing that message, people will remain lost and undone without God and without hope on the road to hell and everlasting destruction in the lake of fire. Observe, secondly, that the gospel is to be received. 
Paul said, which ye also, which also, excuse me, ye have received. Now sadly, most who hear the gospel reject the gospel to their own destruction. That's sad, but it's true. The idea here is that these people to whom Paul is writing had heard the gospel and they embraced it. They had believed it to be true. It is true. You and I, believer, know that it is true. God who cannot lie gave it to us. It's taught us in his word, the Bible, and his word is truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, observe thirdly that the gospel is to be retained. By this I mean that we are to stand in the gospel which we have received. It's to be retained. We are to stand in it. Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You see, there are some who have received the gospel only to cast it off later. There are many who have received the gospel only to cast it off later. We're to stand in the gospel. Later in this same chapter, the apostle exhorts these believers to be steadfast, unmovable. To be steadfast means to be fixed or unchanging. Unmovable means that they are not to be moved or to stand firm, not to be moved from the truth of the gospel. In other words, stand fast in the gospel. Those who receive the gospel, but who do not retain it, that is, they do not stand fast in the gospel, but they cast it off, never experienced regeneration. Never experienced it. Never were born again. They made a trumped-up profession of faith in Christ and a stab, I guess, at personal reformation. But there was no regeneration by the power of God. No salvation. The gospel is to be preached, it is to be received, and it is to be retained. Now verse number 2, look at that. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Again, the idea is that if you retain the gospel, that is, you hold it and stand fast in it to the end, you are saved. Now, I am not saying that you are saved for standing fast. I am saying that standing fast in the gospel to the end is a distinguishing characteristic of the true child of God. I am saying that those who fall away and cast off the gospel are those whose faith is an empty faith, not a saving faith. You see, the Bible teaches that the redeemed in Christ persevere to the end. It teaches that the saved persevere. It does not teach that we are saved by persevering. Salvation is by grace and by grace alone but it teaches that the saved do persevere. Salvation is of God, and Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of it. Now hear what God says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. To be confident is to be fully assured. It is to be certain and secure in what you believe. We can be absolutely certain that God will finish the work which he has begun in us by grace. We can know without doubt that we will finally, that is ultimately, be made complete in the likeness of Jesus Christ and delivered to glory. We have that assurance. Now, if the work begun in you was a work of God, a work of the grace of God, then he will finish it. There's no doubt about that. On the other hand, if the work is all of your own doing, a trumped-up profession of faith, as I said, and a stab at self-reformation, if it was all of your own doing, then the Bible clearly teaches that you are on your own. And when you're on your own, you're traveling the broad way that leads to destruction. You don't want to go that path. You don't want to go it alone. Obey God. Hear the gospel. Believe the gospel. Obey the gospel. Repent. Trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Enter in at the straight gate. In verse 3 he says, For I declared unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now here are the components of the gospel. These are the facts which constitute the magnificent gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now notice those words, according to the scriptures. This does not mean that it is the scriptures which tell us of these glorious events from a historical perspective, that is, looking back at them. But these words mean that he died and rose again, as was predicted prior to his death and resurrection. He died and rose again as the scriptures predicted he would. It was all according to the scriptures. It all happened just as God said it would. Every iota of prophecy concerning his death, burial, and resurrection were fulfilled just as God outlined it in the scriptures. Now throughout the Old Testament there are promises, types, and prophecies which declare his death and resurrection. According to the scriptures, he would die, he'd be buried, and he would rise again. Turn with me, if you would, back to Psalm 22. Psalm number 22. I want you to turn there and I want you to look at the words and focus on this psalm and really engage your minds and think about what the Lord is saying through his word. Psalm number 22. It is the crucifixion psalm. It says here to the chief musician upon Ijalith, Shaha, a psalm of David. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ijalith Shaha. Hind of the dawn, or hind of the morning. 
The hind would symbolize, as it's used here, a lovely, innocent little animal. Something like our deer, but a small animal. A lovely, innocent animal hounded to death. The dawn represents the joy which would result from the affliction. So we think of Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Verse number 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 really want you to look at these words and consider them as they are read. Let God speak to your heart through his word. Isaiah 53, here we see that Jesus would become an offering for sin. Verse 1, who hath believed our report, Isaiah asked, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He who knew no sin died for us. He died for our sins. As a substitutionary sacrifice, he would bear our sins in his body. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Isaac was a type of Christ. When Abraham sought to slay him according to the commandment of God, he was fully persuaded that God would raise him from the dead. God took him to Mount Moriah, and he went up that mount with his son. They took the wood and the fire. Abraham built an altar, and Abraham raised that dagger, and he was ready to slay his son. And to divide him into parts, and offer him a sacrifice, because that's what God wanted. But God stopped him, you know the story. Isaac was a type of Christ. Abraham was fully persuaded that God would raise him from the dead, as I said. The promises of God to Abraham hinged on this. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says of Abraham, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now listen to this accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham accounted that God was able to raise Isaac up from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Jonah was a type of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew twelve forty, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we could offer, and I say we, I could, you could, all of us together could offer other scriptures. But these will be sufficient for tonight. In the New Testament, John the Baptist seeing Jesus cried, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
John knew Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial offering. The blood of those lambs in the Old Testament foreshadowed the precious blood of Jesus shed for you and me. The blood of those lambs could never take away sins, according to Hebrews 10.11. Only the blood of Jesus could atone for sin. While the sins of the Old Testament saints were covered by blood sacrifices, their sins were not atoned for but by the blood of Jesus Christ. All those lambs that were slain, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, and thousands of thousands that were slain, all pointed to Christ. They could cover but not atone for sin. Not all the blood of beasts, somebody said, on Jewish altar slain, could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Also in the New Testament, after he had cleansed the temple by driving out the money changers and overturning their tables, the Jews asked Jesus for a sign. They asked for a sign because they desired to know by what authority he thought he had the right to do these things. With reference to his death and resurrection, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought that he spoke of the temple. But we know that he spoke of the temple of his body, for we're told that in verse 21. He indicated to the Jews that the sign of his authority would be his resurrection from the dead. And Romans 1.4 says that he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So here in verses 3 and 4, we have the components. I'm back in 1 Corinthians 15. We have the components of the glorious gospel. And we find that his death and resurrection were as predicted in the scriptures. Now in verses 5 through 8, Paul seeks to further establish the certainty of the resurrection by pointing to qualified and reliable witnesses. That is, by pointing to others who were capable of being believed. He says, And that he was seen of Cephas, verse 5, see it there, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this presence, present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Now I want us to consider three things in the time we have left. Three things, a simple outline. Jesus rose from the dead, number one. Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible declares it plainly. I think that we have covered it sufficiently tonight. If You see, and what what I mean by that is we gave just a little bit tonight. We haven't had a long time. But it's enough. It's enough for those of us who believe the Bible. It's enough. 
If you reject the fact of the resurrection, then there's no hope for you until you accept it. You see, if you believe that the Bible is the word, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God, the word of Almighty God, if you believe that, then you accept the resurrection. If you don't, then you reject it. So the scriptures establish the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, as I'm saying, the key becomes that of believing the Bible to be the very word of the one and only true and living God. If you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of the one and only true and living God, then you are convinced of the Savior's resurrection from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, number two, first of all, Jesus rose from the dead. Secondly, Jesus is able to raise the dead. He's able to raise the dead. In the gospel accounts of the ministry of our Lord, we have recorded for us occasions on which the Lord Jesus Christ raised the dead to life again. Perhaps the most notable of those would be the time when he called Lazarus of Bethany forth from his tomb. And you recall that story plainly, how that Jesus went to Bethany. He eventually made it to the tomb. And there in the presence of the tomb, he told him to roll the stone away. And Martha objected, saying, Lord, Behold, by now he stinketh. He's, he's been dead for four days. In other words, his body's in the process of corruption and it stinks by now. Lord. But Jesus prays and he calls Lazarus. He called with a loud voice, the Bible says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that tomb bound head and foot with grave clothes, grave clothes wrapped around his face. And Jesus told those present there to loose him and let him go. Unwrap the guy. Come on, set him free. Wow. Jesus is able to raise the dead. Jesus raises the dead by authority. There's some prophets in the Old Testament that raised the dead by entreaty. They called out to God and God did it. But Jesus raises the dead by authority. He is God the Son. He has all of the attributes of divinity. He said to the Jews in John 5.21, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. To raise the dead, now listen to this, to raise the dead and to quicken in that verse means to make to live again, to give life to. And since the authority and power to give life to belongs exclusively to God, that makes Jesus God. He has the authority to give life to. So Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is able to raise the dead. Number three, Jesus' resurrection certifies 
the promise of the believer's resurrection. Certifies it. Guarantees it. I'm going to pick up a trailer out in Ohio in a few days. Kath and I sold our old travel turn, bought a new one through a wholesaler out there. And uh, we're going to pick it up. And uh, it's already in my name. I've already purchased it. It's in my name. And so I got to thinking the other day, wow, it's sitting out there in my name. I better get insurance on it. If anything happened to it, I'm sure they'd say, hey, it's in your name. It's yours. So I called my insurance company just this past Saturday on the phone. And uh, the home office, the 800 number I had was down in Knoxville, Tennessee. And somebody answered, and I told them what my situation was and how I needed insurance. And they said, we can do it right now. Paid them by credit card over the phone. And the guy says, do you need a, uh, a certificate of insurance? I said, I sure do. He said, I'll send it to you by email. So a few minutes later, I had it through email as an attachment, and I printed it out on my printer, and I had a certificate guaranteeing that I had insurance, that I have insurance on that trailer. Well, Jesus' resurrection certifies the promise of the believer's resurrection. It's guaranteed. You see, the resurrection of the believer who dies in Christ is guaranteed by his resurrection, and it's guaranteed by the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul teaches that Jesus is coming again, and he says that at the rapture the dead in Christ shall rise. They shall rise first. But he teaches that if Christ be not raised, then we have no salvation. Our faith is vain. So the point is that his resurrection is the certification of ours. It is the certification of our salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 23 says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his order... Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Thank God Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And later as we read, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Here's the gospel. 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. As we talked about earlier, no person in this wide world will ever be saved apart from the gospel. No person will be saved apart from the gospel. What's that say we need to do with the gospel? It says we need to preach it. It says we need to deliver it to them that as we were talking about last night, some might be saved. Not everybody's going to be saved. I hear every now and then a report from heard a report some time ago from a missionary where this month we had 1,500 saved. and You know, but it was one of these easy believism things. It was, he was sent out of one of those churches. He talked like everybody's getting saved. Every place we go, everybody gets saved. Well, I don't believe that, but I know that some will come to Christ if we get the gospel to them. Just like that woman we talked about last night, that Syrophoenician woman, that Canaanitish woman, that Gentile dog, if you will, up there in the region, in the coast and the border of Tyre and Sidon, who fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. If we can get the gospel to folk, we'll find some people like that who will come to Christ, be saved, and worship Him. We need to get the gospel to them. So it's important, so very important, that you pray and that you give, that you let God lead you in this faith promise giving, and you seek to give more than ever before. You can't do anything better. You can't spend your money on anything more important than getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to poor people out there in the dark regions of this world. And the dark regions, of course, are right here as well as abroad. Abroad. 